So, hey, we have to start doing um, response videos, though, where we listen to some opera. And oh. then we respond with, like, unbelievable, wow, or, and that's what's called poor singing. Okay, we could also yeah. respond to viewers' questions if anybody wants to ask us any. We have to get some viewers first. Okay, well, <laughs> I understand there are a couple over there at uh, at, at the symphony. There that, are a um, couple at the symphony. A couple of people. I've who... been. I've heard uh, that one of the um, <laughs> what are they called? Well, they they haven't won a chair yet, but they're candidates. Not candidates, just uh, not adjunct deputies. No. We're talking about orchestra players. Yeah, depths. No, de You're on the depth list. You know, oh, um, okay. At least in London. I don't yeah. Know. So our friend Craig Substitutes. said that knows this guy and I guess came across our content. Listened to everything. Loved it. Really? Maybe that's why he hasn't yeah. got the chair. That could be. Anyone who likes us, their musical taste is in question. <laughs> well. Because, you know. I mean, it's so difficult. The to aim of this podcast is simply to share impressions of what we're hearing, what we're seeing, uh, maybe draw on some of the experience that we've had, and try to opine and 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 talk about, maybe engender a conversation about some of the classical arts that are going on in town mm -hmm. that we've been a part and, of through the years abroad. and that we value. So yeah. maybe you know, uh, we're not. I'm not Deems Taylor, but you know, I've I've been on the inside of it, and I have opinions. So you know, we welcome discussion. Yeah. And my my goal is is more along the lines of helping to define and spread the rules of <laughs> not of enjoying, not just attending. Everyone gets caught up on attendance rules, and that those are a barrier for a general audience. What do I wear? You know the clapping thing. I'm, I'm so tired of the clapping issue. Well, yeah. But no, I have, I have no. You know, I, I'll tell you this. By the end of the mainly Mozart, apparently clapping between movements is what we do in San Diego now. And sometimes it was perfect. at the beginning of the season. I, I I was like, you know what? I don't care. No. If it's that good and you're if it moves you to clap, yeah. for, for heaven's sake, clap. I mean, and Michael Francis it, it, uh, during one of the movies, I think maybe after the first minute of the Beethoven, he, he like turned around and like looked at the yeah. audience, like, <laughs> yeah, and, right. But look, it's pointless to squash it mm -hmm. because the audience needs to be reengaged. The audience in Grand Opera has been stifled. They have yeah. been stifled. They no longer know their cues. They are not approaching it uh, from a point of view of fanatics, mm -hmm. you know, and expressing themselves as like think this is our moment now because. It is a, a, a holistic sort of uh, yeah. uh, experience. There, there has to be, it's not just all coming from the stage and going out. The audience has to give back. For in the first place, you've got to give us a chance to like take a breather for a second mm -hmm. because, you know, you wear yourself yeah, out. Opera, in American opera, part of it's that got is got the to conductor, be a cycle. though. Well, in, yes, it's the conductor. But for instance, for instance, um, in, in the move towards financial uh, uh, economy, uh, uh, the intervals are are are, um, are are cut down to the absolute bare minimum, and and that includes the excising of bows between acts for performers who, performers who may not be coming back. They may not. They may be done. Yeah. Right. right. There's a reason, the and chorus. also it builds up the muscles of the audience's reactions if they are encouraged to say yes. I value this enough right. to actually express myself at the end of the act. Then we're going to go out in the lobby and we're going to have a good conversation about yeah. what we just saw. That's what's supposed to happen. 
And then you get things like, let's do The Flying Dutchman uh, as if it's a movie. We'll just do it straight through, and it'll be two hours. Uh, that was an Ian Campbell economization. Great idea. Just completely take the audience's role away from them entirely. Cut right. out the social experience completely. Well, none of us know how to be logisti anyway. The, the logia... Is that, oh, is the, the logisti? <laughs> logisti. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's true, but I mean, you know... Um, that would be the, when, the balcony dwellers at La Scala. When, when uh, the, 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 the young man who played the, um, the, the Beethoven Violin Concerto. Yes, Augustin Hadlich. Augustin Hadlich. I, I haven't... You know, there were a few people in that audience that tried on the woo-woo-woo. You know, woo! At the end. At the end. That was very quickly murdered by choruses of "Bravo!" Yeah, I haven't heard opera, an opera house roar like that in San Diego for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Death to woo woo! <laughs> it's not enough. This is an audience critique moment. I'm telling you guys, it's not enough. You yeah. you cheer "Bravo." Bravi. Or bravi or brava, yeah. the same way you with the same visceral um, uh, emotion that you cheer goal <laughs> at a soccer match. It has to have that mm -hmm. that sporting uh, viscerality. Yeah, that's what is supposed to be in be being brought out of the audience and released by the, the, the artist's uh, mm -hmm. efforts. Please yeah. be aware of that and maybe try to respond to it. I mean, we may not have Pavarotti. You know, there are a lot of good singers out there. The problem is no one knows who they are because the marketing systems, the, the record labels, the promotions, it's all gone. It's all gone. Yeah. These people are still out it's there busting their away. behinds. And... But that's, this is our, this is, I, I believe, our mission. This is our it's mission. Because many people don't, it feels to me as if a lot of people who go to the opera actually can't recognize good singing when it happens. No, because they have been the the, the they haven't been fed the diet and frequency to be able to know, you right. know, relative to one thing to another, what is adequate, what is subpar, and what is truly superior. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we verged on the superior. It, in, in in Carmen yeah, this year, did. I mean that that young tenor that we had, mm -hmm. I, you know, we I remember at the beginning of rehearsals, we all thought, is he going to blow this out in rehearsals? He, <laughs> I was concerned. He, he has no filter; it all comes out or nothing comes out, you know. And he, he never blew it out. No. He did the business. And was it the second performance? Maybe it was the second performance, second or third, where I thought I was like, wow, I. I could not ask for anything better. No, before. you really can't, especially here in San Diego. We're this far from the center of things, as yeah. it were, you know, uh, and we get that. I mean, the, the whole public in San Diego should have known about it. That, that should have been there should have been eight performances of Carmen, mm -hmm. not not four. And they should have been full because you don't hear a Don Jose. You don't. That solid very this often. This was my fourth Carmen. And the first time we had a serviceable Jose. Yeah. Now, we had Richard Leach previously, but he was 
That never, might, that's the last thing he's done here. Yeah, he and probably, it might have been the last thing he did anywhere. I have no and idea. And he never should have sung that him. role either. I mean, because that's what killed him in the end. Was He was a, a, the most fabulous lyric French tenor. His Faust was incredible. Oh, that EMI recording is, well, is I, I, I phenomenal. Was, his first performance here was in Faust. Mm. I mean, when he was in his 20s. And I was in it. It was 80, 85, 86. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It was ravishing, and they did the same thing to him that 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 they did to Roberto Alagna. Record Trovatore. We need another Pavarotti. Yeah. No. Well, Pavarotti's not a great man recording. No, but I mean, we need that. Uh, 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 we, yeah. we need somebody who's going to yeah. be the great recording. I will artist. say, I went. Up, I heard him it, in it, L.A. as Cavaradossi in Tosca. And I was blown away. Well, it lasted for a while, yeah, but then it didn't last career. anymore. I mean, yeah. because, and I remember our and teacher. I remember Bob saying, "But I always found it to be a very oh he the Pagliacci that he did here oh was bad no he kind of it was wrecked no, he didn't, by that time did he or was it was it, it was, Cavalleria it was Torido in, in Cavalleria. Cavalleria it was bad and then Jose Cura was was Canio in Pagliacci it was very bad mm. um, and it was painful to listen to. Because of... The Siciliana is not easy to start a well, show. I remember hearing Alanya in recital in London at the very beginning. And he Beautiful. sang he sang an aria from Joseph by um, Eliahu Meyul. Okay. Gener- you know, this is like uh, 19th century romantic opera come to Jesus in whole notes. You know, if you look at it on the page. <laughs> It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard in my mm. life. And I thought to myself, if he, he can, that guy right there can do the same thing for French romantic opera, uh, like that nobody's ever heard in the yeah. 20th century that Collis and Sutherland did and make it the most exciting thing they did for yeah. Belcanto. And he can make that the most exciting thing anybody will ever hear. Mm-hmm. And the first thing they said was, Record Trovatore! It was a little bit after. Not much. But. Not much. Yeah, it was. It's unfortunate because listening to him now, the top is hazy and the one thing. No, there's no. I know some people don't like the word focus or point, but there's no. No, point there isn't. I mean, I saw him. I saw him in um, uh, um, in in Fiat uh, Regiment. Uh, oh, okay. I think um, uh, that's the one with Belcore, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, I think, 2016. Okay. So. And uh, about three years ago. Or maybe it was 2012. I can't quite remember. Wait, no, that's... Uh, that's uh, uh, d'Amore. It was L'Elysir d'Amore, sorry. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the first act, he, like, raked his be natural, and everyone went, went uh. mm. yeah. But he... Alanya is a wonderful actor. He's a good comedian. He has fun on stage. And he enjoys being there, and he enjoys communicating that to the audience. And he regrouped himself, and he came back and had a very strong second act, and just like just had plain fun, and the audience loved him for it. Right. You know, so that's where that's where he was a few years yeah. ago. And well, you know, Pavarotti and the three tenors in general create a false expectation for careers, in my opinion. Yeah. Delmonico did not sing "Daughter of the Regiment." No. Or the elixir of love. No, but that wasn't his voice type either. Exactly. But Pavarotti sang Otello. And Pavarotti sang well, Manrico. That's, but that's and all the more saying, remarkable because he could. He and, could, but it was still, in my opinion, 
inappropriate, even though it sold tickets and it made a lot of money. Yeah. And so now every well, every are we to say that, that Dietrich Fischer Dieskau should never sing Hans Sachs because it's yeah. not his Fach? But yeah. I mean, I don't. I well, first of all, I'm not a, a Fischer Dieskau fan. Well, I have to admire the, the musicianship and the, the, sure. the range Just, of the man. But the voice I mean, something else. never did anything for me. Oh, it did for me in Leader. Okay. But but that's Leader. That's Leader. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's... um, Look, Pavarotti, you can make the case. And I want to go see... We should go see the documentary. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll give yeah. you a report on that. Um, Probably the best Duke of Mantua. I've ever heard. I, there's a great live recording of him on Doral. Um, what else could you say? He would be the the best of the best. All the Donizetti. Maybe the, the, the best. The, maybe the best Alfredo. It's difficult to find a pleasing Alfredo, in my opinion. Uh, maybe yeah. the best Rodolfo. They all sound like Luigi Alva. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to La Boheme, there's no KJ that um, Manina. Better no than Pavarotti in the late sixties. That's the because 70s. Pavarotti is this is a. I think it also people need to understand that Pavarotti is is was the best at everything that he sang, whether he was actually the the the, the best correct. dramatically, yeah. the correct person to be singing it. But Pavarotti was a synthesis, a, a product of the recorded age, because mm -hmm. he was a synthesis of every tenor that he ever listened to's best approaches and best phrasings, mm. and best turns of phrase, you know, the, the little scooped inflections of the approach to a high note of, of right. De Stefano. And, you know, he, he listens, and, and all of the, anything that's n not necessarily pleasing, like the downward portamento of a Gigli, or, the, or, or some of the like, pitch-wise aggression of a Martinelli, he just leaves those out. Mm -hmm. But he keeps all the pleasing bits. Right. And... That's why he was the perfect tenor. Yeah. It's it's down to his ear. That's what it it's was. It's impossible to because he didn't even read music. The beauty of that voice. No, it's absolutely. And also, it's it's difficult to overstate the beauty and the acumen of that musical intuition. Mm -hmm. That's what he was. He was into it. Musical intuition itself. Yeah. Didn't yeah. much of a brain, but I mean. <laughs> But he yeah. had intuition, yeah. but when and you watch that's him, what counts. When you watch him sing Vesti La Juba in Pagliacci, I don't believe he's going to go kill someone after that. When you watch Delmonico no, sure sing it. Vesti La Juba, I think he's actually going to kill the soprano in real life. I actually think he's probably killed several sopranos <laughs> in several different productions, to uh, you know, leading to this yeah. point. No, I'm yeah. not sure any it's of them survive. It's a different thing. You know? No, no, it, absolutely it is. Um, but again, you know, this is this is pure musicianship versus voice type versus Fach versus the yeah. you know certain you know versus voice types. Right, but know? this is but, why singers like. On my point is, this is why singers like Alanya get pushed because it sells tickets. Oh, Alanya's singing Trovatore, but at that but time he, his voice couldn't it did not stand up to it or maybe he tried to make it more legitimate than Pavarotti he always just overpowered tried to be it he did the same yeah. thing Leach did he just overpowered the top yeah. and he blew out the top because yeah. it wasn't that kind of a, a power voice mm -hmm. and it's just I think I honestly think that both that particularly Alanya because he was French you know he had an Italian name but he was a, he was French yeah you know he was a French tenor 
and he he it was a huge missed opportunity for the revival of a particular repertoire which you have to be a certain it helps to be a certain voice type and have a certain affinity you know uh, for the language and culture to be the authority on that and he could have been he could have done it and that is it is legitimate and it is but at that time the the recording industry was still very much in full force and it was the record contracts because someone like juan diego flores made bel canto popular again even though i'm not a fan i think it's way too I mean, himself. Well, I mean, Carlo Bergonzi. Uh, no, no, no. Recently. Oh, recently. Yeah, Juan Diego me. Flores is is a figure of the late '90s through. No, I'm yeah. hearing of him. Yeah. Yeah, um, his daughter, the regiment, lit the mat on fire. But that's all he could do. But he it, it made those I brought those operas to a uh, a new audience in a more preeminent way. Yeah, well, I mean, it helps to to have somebody to have in every someone generation. who's focused on that. He knew his lane. He knew his. Forte, but you know the, the like yes I mean but an Italian bel canto is fiery and fast and fun, mm-hmm. you know and that's why French romantic opera is a bit more of a difficult sell stuff like some of the Pagliuto by Gounod and things like that, but if you're if you if you can do it that beautifully that's a different type of selling point it wasn't what they wanted at the time because mm-hmm. they wanted give us more Pavarotti give us more yeah and the three tenors effect was still fully but that's all gone now. That's gone. Yeah. You don't. You make the recording and then you back it up with performances. You know, at La Scala and things like that. And you, yeah. and you and and that's what blew him out. But that's all gone now. So, yeah, it's just how do we re- the how do we reignite the don't audience? Don't tell the unions that. How do we reignite? Yeah, really. How do we reignite the audience? You know, how do we um, give them the the frequency that lets them determine? Like we said, you know. Spectacular mm-hmm. from standard, from below standard, or just yeah. below standard, or better than average. Yeah. I mean, well, even the Met HD movie theater experience is still doesn't allow you to experience the voice because the dynamic range is static. Right. Exactly. It's the, like having a I, having a having a volume limiter on yeah. a microphone. You yeah. Because you, you can hear. So uh, I went and saw Otello. They reprised the Otello with uh, the late Johann Botha and Rene Fleming. And the opening scene was just as loud as her, as their love duet. The, the that shouldn't happen. <laughs> no, but, and you can hear, you hear this, the music's loud, and then suddenly it gets soft and you hear this. And this is You a, hear them crank the mics up, you yeah. hear the white noise. And so it's still an, a, the, dis, an unsatisfactory. This is experience. another audience education point, and that is there's a difference between hearing and listening. Hmm. You can't just expect to have the volume level constantly fed to you as if you're in your living room. You know, this isn't your living room. This is a live experience, and what's needed, really, even more than your hearing, is your attention. Attentive listening and focused perception. I mean, if the mm-hmm. if the singer's voice, you know, we have a three thousand seat theater here. That's a big hall, and but Virginia Sublet sang, and and who doesn't have that big of a voice, but she sang the Queen of the Night here in in the Magic Flute after doing it at City Opera, and she didn't sing it any louder here than she did there, but she made the audience listen to her. Mm-hmm. The audience's attention came came right down to what she was doing and it was spectacular you know i still think that virginia uh, 
and that's the difference between hearing and listening. You know, mm -hmm. it's not always going to be a perfect auditory experience, but you have that means you have to listen harder. Yeah. Don't and and listening is done with the mind, not just the ears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The audience needs to know that. I don't think they know that anymore. And right. You know, and companies right. then, you know, they amplify and they want to make it more stereo friendly. Right. Well, this isn't a stereo. This is a live opera house. Mm -hmm. Well, part of it is the goal of almost every business to consumer interaction is to remove friction so that the consumer doesn't have to think or do anything at all. Yeah, but you know and what happens? Say, you know what happens? Alexa, get me opera tickets. Yeah, and but, it, it happens. Yeah, you know, this is the same idea with suppositories, too. <laughs> but you know what happens when you get friction? You get heat. Yeah. And all yeah. of a sudden, you've got a, an experience that's on fire. Yeah. So this is, that's it is, what it's all it's about. It's a retraining. I'm, I'm retraining myself constantly. Uh, of uh, We have to retrain ourselves to be proactive, be involved in, like you're saying, listen carefully. Listen with your, and, not just your mind, but listen to with your heart as well. And when you bring your focus and your attention down to the, the that, that moment of performance, you know, you may be sitting behind a pillar or something, well, not in San Diego, but I mean, you know, you may have to, you know, crane your neck or something, or you maybe, you know, you, you're, you're not in the best acoustic advantage vantage point, but if your attention is there and you hear something, you experience something truly spectacular, mm -hmm. you will enjoy it all the more for the effort yeah. that you've made. I mean, I, I've... Yes. You have to put in the effort. Mm -hmm. You have to put in the effort of attention and, you know, tuning out the imperfections of the situation and focusing on the extraordinary thing that's happening. And that same goes in any concert hall, whether it's opera or symphony or chamber music right. or recital or whatever. That's what the... that's And the audience... You know what? That takes strength. It, mm -hmm. takes, it takes strength. The audience has to be... That's what being cultivated means. It means you've gone through artistic exercise. Yeah. You've strengthened your responses and your attention. Mm -hmm. Preach, John. This is good. Hallelujah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious. That's what it's all about. And that's what, that's what my mission and part of our mission here is to try to enliven the audience to the, that reality. Because yeah. the audience is... A critical part it's the other half of the artistic experience if you've only got the performers and no one hears it who are they preaching to right you know whether it's live in a concert hall or they're watching on a streaming or whatever the fact is there's got to be the other half mm -hmm. well that's what I wrote about the Beethoven violin concerto at mainly Mozart with Augustine Hadlick was it all aligned Beethoven Hadlick Francis that group of musicians, the venue itself, and the audience. And the audience. Yeah. You could feel the focus. You could literally feel it was a, it was the, the, the yeah. feeling of focused attention was tangible. It was like you were in the cone. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. There there was none of this out here. It was all focused right there. Yeah. And and there were there were moments when he, he literally the audience he, he took the audience's breath away mm -hmm. a couple of times and people just went oh. yeah yeah that was ex absolutely extraordinary exactly um, and you know who else did that was Pepe Romero 
Mm-hmm. I think when, when that encore of the piece by his father that he played, he was suddenly playing a section where he was he was plucking on the fret on the fretboard mm-hmm. and and plucking the strings up the fretboard for a very sort of constricted sound, a very lightly plucked sound, and it was just it just sparkled. You know, this seventy five year old man up there giving it the you know mm-hmm. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure <laughs> experience, and the audience just went oh yeah. They were the, the 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 again the the feeling of delight in mm-hmm. that was palpable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's moments like those that if you're paying attention, you've got a memory that will feed you for a lifetime, and that's that's what mm-hmm. our audience. That's why people need right to. It opens you up it, it to experience life just a little bit more on your own emotional terms. It it's a freeing. It's a um a re- and freedom is always. I don't want to get too philosophical. I really do, but we're... we're yeah, we're, we're, we're coming down this. to it because we're getting about the hour mark. Yeah, I'm going to have to chop this in a few pieces, okay. I think. Anyway, um, freedom always arrives because of something has been removed. Not because freedom shows up. Freedom is always there. Right. But the ch- you've got chains on. You have to t- The chains have to come off, and you're free. The free- It's not like freedom was already... All around you. Well, this is why music was so important in the former Soviet Union. I mean, mm-hmm. it, why it's been so and, and in in various cultures with limited freedom. You know that that you know when you when when you're able to release yourself into the experience of the music and share that moment with you're completely free to do that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they that they valued that experience very very much. Yeah. For everything from poet you know poetry readings to concert halls to recitals to house yeah. music. Yeah. But um, and so it's in those live performances when just you're just a little bit, it's when your heart grows maybe not three sizes, maybe many sizes point three size point you know mm-hmm. zero point three percent of a size, but it it you know it gives you freedom. It, it allows more freedom to enter into your experience. But you're also free. Life. You're also free, and, and as an audience member in classical music, when you have cultivated this sense of relative values, and you can you can sort mm-hmm. of compare one thing to another, and sort of orient yourself in the uh, in the hierarchy of experience, you, you also then earn the right to have opinions. And right. you have the right to express yourself. And sometimes you don't like it. But you know what? Sometimes companies need to know that you don't like it so that they then get better. <laughs> right. it, it, it also, what I'm saying is it also inculcates responsibility. Mm-hmm. The, the, the exercise of cultivation builds up responsibility and, the responsib- and that responsibility, I think, has a bleed-over effect in society, into society at large. And that's why, we, that's why we need arts. That's why we need people who respond to arts and that... It, because it makes for a stronger society. Mm-hmm. It makes for stronger individuals and a stronger corporate society. So I just, I really believe in the role of the yeah. audience. And it's not like we can't do it because we our culture currently does do it. it. We just do it about things like Sandy Koufax versus Roger Clemens and, you know, well, Nolan Ryan. Fine. I'm saying the ability is there. But let, people put in the time... And the attention. Let's also do it against, you know, how about the, the, the production of um, 
uh, uh, the, of last season's Florencia and Los Amazonas versus this year's Carmen, or let's ha how about if we compare one performance to another? Because you know, some people thought it was that that rewarding that they actually saw all four. Mm -hmm. That third performance was the one where he really got it. Right. You know? That that's that's also a comparison worth having. Yeah, that's when you're on fire. Right. What I'm saying is, we do this with sports. We do this yeah. with movies. We do this with Marvel movies. But we think it's impolite to do it with the arts. But we think it's impolite to do it with the arts. And it's not. It's necessary. And we certainly do it with politics. We're not going to talk politics because... No. But That's for another podcast. I mean, a different podcast. <laughs> yes, Somebody else's podcast. This is about the arts. Right. And, and it's about... Uh, like, like I say, I really... That's why I'm a concert goer as well as a performer. Mm -hmm. I, I, I get as much out of going to concerts, almost, as I do... In performing itself, because I see that I'm, I see myself as exercising a responsibility, yeah, uh, in both roles. Mm -hmm. I really do. I think you know by showing up and experiencing the concert environment, and then trying to relate it and weave it together into into a broader social context. I think that's a very responsible act. It is, and I think it's something that a lot of people should do. Everybody who can should do it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, anyway. Yeah. So that we've we've we have uh, reviewed. We have uh, pontificated. We've pontificated. We've philosophized, and um, we probably masturbated a little bit too. Well, verbally. Yes, verbally. Um, that's <laughs> definitely a different podcast. That's that, oh, yeah. that would be more of a webcam. You know, I think you just got us banned from Google, as a matter of fact, by saying that. Word. No, no, you sure. can do that. Can you? That's fine. Oh. Well, yes. never, that's allowed. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, I won't say what you can't do because then. Yeah, yeah. right. Well, then we'd be banned from banned from Google. Yeah. Um, yeah. So right. there we go. Next week, Pavarotti documentary. Yes. The Pavumentary. The Pavumentary. <laughs> um, La Jolla Music Fest preview. And looking forward into uh, Symphony Season 2019-20, mm -hmm. and maybe even some summer pops highlights. Maybe. I'm a big pop scholar. Oh, I believe in the pops. When the guy made the comment about the 1812 overture. Yes, that's right. What did he say? He said uh, uh, he was the oboist. No, he was a violist. Uh, the, the violist yeah. from, from wanted, Rochester, Utah. Utah. Yeah. Uh, he wanted to take us. He wanted to bottle the mainly Mozart uh, experience and take it back with him and see how many renditions of the 1812 overture that would bottle take. would last. Yeah. <laughs> That was a genius. Uh, that genius that, weekend. That was a genius comment. That was good. That was yeah. a genius comment. <laughs> so great. That that, that uh, pretty well encapsulates much of the musical experience. Mm -hmm. I talked to him <laughs> later about it, and because I said, uh, I was like, "Yeah, that was my gateway drug when I was nine. <laughs> it was the eighteen twelve overture?" And he goes, "Me too." Oh. It was. He was like, "One side was that. The other side was Capriccio Italiano." Eh. I was like, "Yep." Or I said, or maybe March Slav was on mine. It, it was the Espanol Rhapsody for me. Yeah. You know, Chabrier. I'm a big fan, you know. But I mean, I had a Tchaikovsky cassette. The 1812 Overture on one side. And the other side was, I believe, the March Slav. And he, his was 1812 and pretty sure talent. And I just wore that thing out. It's a it's a gateway to so, so many life decisions. But once I, <laughs> once I got to... When I became a man, I put... Oh childish things behind me and Tchaikovsky would agree with me ah we're out <laughs>